There we go. Okay. Okay, we are now in Perak Hay, and we're going to start letter base, Perak Hay letter base, and we're dedicating the Shirley Eloy Nishmas Miriam Bas Velvo, dedicated by Sarah Bernard to her mother's Elias Nishama, Nishama Shavan Elias, Mikhail Ochoyo. So once again, Perak Hay letter base, Os base. Page 29. Perak Hamishi, Perak Hamishi, Os base. Page 29, about three lines down in the Rambam. Yes. Mm-hmm. When a wise person eats that small amount which is appropriate for them, he should eat in his home and at his table. A person should not eat out in the store, in the market, not in the marketplace, unless it's for an important reason. Something's playing. Is it maybe the next room? Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll come. This time is kind of coming into our room. Thanks, Ilana. Okay. I was going to say, she doesn't come back in 10 seconds, then go get Ilana. Right? <laughs> so for an important purpose, so in other words, it's not usher to do these things. These are not prohibitions. But what is it? The next line. So a person doesn't look not nice. Um, in front of other people. So sometimes when people eat, it just happens. You know, food drops on your lap. For me, it could get in my beard. You know, these kind of things happen. It doesn't look so nice. So the Rambam says, just all it's kavod, a personal sense of uh, integrity and kavod habrios, uh, not to run around with food because you know, it doesn't look, doesn't look nice. Now, he said, so if there's a situation that you have to, uh, then you have to. A lot of people eat in their cars. Right, they're on their way to work, on their way to carpool. They, they don't have time to eat breakfast at home. So a car is a fairly private place. I wouldn't consider that to be outside in the street. And you have a cup of coffee in your car or, or a little donut next to you or some other more healthy food next to you. Uh, I would say that's okay uh, because you're not really out there in public. Uh, there are windows in your car. So uh, sometimes if I'm pulling up, you probably relate to this. You had a Stop. You, you want to know, like, who's next to me, like, right there, like, at the red light? It could be somebody you know, somebody you don't know. So you just kind of have these things, you know, in mind. And it's for the sake of Kavod Habrias. Velo yochal eitzel And a wise person should not eat with amehor. This means very uneducated people, and we would, we would call them uncouth. Velo al osan ha-shulchanos and not on tables that are filled with garbage, literally excrement and vomit, right? Sounds horrible. 
So you have to remember, uh, we're talking about it, an earlier time in history, the, the sense of hygiene that we live with was not necessarily the public standard in, in those earlier times. So the Ramam is telling us, be, eat in a clean place. Don't, don't eat in a dirty place. So with Ami Orts, those are people who are uncouth because, again, the whole atmosphere there of the eating is not pleasant at all. People who don't have proper manners or, um, or, or don't know how to conduct themselves in the presence of other people, it's not nice. So it's not nice to eat with those people because they don't have any manners. Or in a place that's not clean, obviously for us, uh, hygiene, germs, we're, we're very conscious about that. And even in earlier times before the, these were known into the rest of the world, we understood that cleanliness and eating is extremely important. Yes, please. Um, is equivalent to Amcha? Uh, no, Amcha is a, a lashon of your people, your nation. That's, that's more... No, Amcha is really more of a complimentary term. Okay. Like Amcha, your people, your nation. Amoret is not necessarily derogatory. Sometimes it just means uneducated, and that's not derogatory. Here, it's a little bit derogatory. It's not only uneducated, but they don't have proper table manners. People who are not developed in terms of their table etiquette. And again, in earlier times in history, that was, I'm sure, not uncommon. Societies that were not um, you know, developed in that way. Yeah. Yeah, Elka, please. How could you say bracha with excrement? Oh, you, you couldn't. So if, if he means mamish excrement, then you can't say bracha. He might just be talking about here filth, you know. So if it's dirty, you're allowed to make a bracha. If it smells, you're not, you're not allowed to make a bracha. Even if it's garbage that smells, you're not supposed to make a bracha because it doesn't smell good. But it could be dirty with no smell. Al Pidin, you can make a bracha, it's just not so nice. And so, where are these tables he's talking about? Because we bring people into our home that may be uneducated all the time. That's fine, that's Achnas Sorchim. He's talking about public areas or people where people were gathering to eat. Maybe what would happen, not that they had parks, I don't know if they had parks nowadays, but some kind of a public eating. Or maybe even going into their house and eating because the whole situation was not nice. Yes. Okay, like a Yurid. A Yurid. People were eating out there, peasants. Right? Very uncouth. Didn't partake of that. Okay. Yeah, Jody, please. I was going to go back to the excrement. Yes. That phrase is used a lot, I think. Pardon me? Isn't that phrase used a lot? Yes. They say that if you don't have a at the table, then it's equivalent to that, right? It's, it comes from the Navi. I forgot which puzzle we saw last week, but it keep it so. It's a lesson of just a lot of filth and trash. I'm sorry, is it a reference to Avodah It can be. Sometimes Avodah Zarah is uh, compared to that, yes. Yeah. But in terms of a table that's not filled with Torah, is similar to this with the lesson of Chachamim. So that's not physically dirty, but spiritually. It's a place that is considered like we ate in a way that was not uplifted to Hashem. Okay. Velo yarbe suudosav b'chomakom vafilu im hachachamim. And a person should not eat a lot, meaning many, many meals, even if they're with chachamim. So this is more about overeating again. So let's say a person's 
not eating with people who have no manners, but they're with Chachamim, but they're doing that all the time. You know, bopping from one suda to another, to another, to another, that's too much. Anything which is too much is not good. Lo yochal bohem kibutz harbe. And not to eat at meals where there are lots and lots of people. So again, that means that it's going to get out of hand. The socialization and the feeling of its lacks and um, what do you call it, frivolousness, it just gets out of hand. Now we can think of meals like this that we eat at, right? Anytime you go to a banquet for a school, for a shul, for a chasa, oftentimes there's a lot of people. That's okay, for sure. The Sudas Mitzvah, we're gathered under conditions of Kedusha, we're celebrating something, we're supporting an institution, we're supporting a shul, a yeshiva, beisayaka, whatever it might be. So the context of that is completely different. This is like a big party, you know, the kibbutz gadol, just a big party, a gathering of people with no real um, ostensible sense of context to it. So, of course, that can get out of hand. Varda, was your hand up before I saw a hand up? I had my hand up, I was just wondering yeah. besides the amount of people yeah. and the food, like I, I understand like a banquet's like are okay for a purpose of the serving, but don't we have like a little too much of that in terms of like excess of like food in we general do. with all the banquets <laughs> and standing? We do. Yeah, standing and eating, right. Yeah, not so healthy. Yeah, there's definitely excess. And you know, any advertisement for any special Pesach hotel or whatever, it's always the lavish, super lavish, overflowing, so, like the adjectives got to keep getting greater and greater, you know? And the food is nonstop. You know, so you know, that's, that's excess. And of course we know there's a lot of criticism just on the, the, the level of uh, indulgence is just is too much. It's nice to have good food, it's nice to have good food, it's nice to be with friends, uh, but it's just being overdone, over the top. Too much emphasis on that. Yeah, please, how can I say? Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about film magazines. Okay, you know what, I'm fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's an article about not being stressed out. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's not competing. <laughs> it's like, what? It's, 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 I know. It's all, all, the, all of our issues as a firm society, they manifest in these magazines. All the contradictions, that we had, the, the things that we kind of turn a blind eye to, the things that we're very, very machmaran, would never do that, and the next page is a big party going on on it. And you know, ten thousand dollar you know furniture, or twenty thousand dollar like it's just it's really mixed up values. It hits you right in the face. Sarah, yeah, please. I'm getting a lot of trouble for this. <laughs> 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 Got our attention. <laughs> 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 we, we sort of do this on Shabbos. Yeah. We, we, I, I, he came to our Shabbos table with the, the fish and the soup. More and more and more. So again, it's all about, you know, balance and shikul and a Shabbos table can also be over the top. There's definitely not only an Indian but a halacha to have nice food on Shabbos. Oneg Shabbos, you eat on Shabbos 
more than you eat during the week and richer foods, nicer foods, more luxurious foods, a covered Shabbos, covered Yom Tif, like those are all good things. But can you go too far? Always, even on Shabbos. And I think we mentioned that last time, that some people feel sick after Shabbos because there's just so much eating. So we got to, you know, have our eye on that. We, Baruch Hashem, live in a more um, affluent society. And for us, that's an Nisayim. I remember that Rav Chaim Shapiro, who wrote um, uh, Go My Son, and a couple other books, beautiful books. Um, did I get the first name right? Was it Rabbi Chaim Shapiro? That's correct, right? So, I remember he said that when he was a Shiva Bacher, uh, he was once in a, I think it was a shul or a house, and he went, went to somebody's house and they were making Kiddush on wine. And he was like, what is this? He had never seen it before in his life. They made Kiddush on bread. They had no money to buy wine. Nobody had wine. So the first time he saw it, he was shocked. Like, why don't I know what, what bracha this? I mean, Shiva bracha. He didn't know the bracha. And then he realized, oh, some people can afford wine, and they make Kiddush on wine. So, I mean, that just says it all. You know, we, that society and that. Pardon me, Mrs. Fran? No, Rabbi Chaim Shapiro, who lived here in Baltimore, who wrote Go My Son. Yeah. Friday night only, yeah, Friday night, you can, if there's no wine present, you can always make Kiddush on bread. Friday night or Shabbat. No, you're thinking of something else. You're thinking about making Kiddush on schnapps, on Chamer Medina, like beer, or Havdalah. So Friday night, you cannot. Friday night, you have to make Kiddush on wine, because Kiddush is the Orisa on Friday night. You cannot make Kiddush on Chamer Medina, a hush of a beverage like beer, because Kiddush is the Orisa. Shabbos day, Kiddush is the Rabbanan, and Havdalah is also the Rabbanan. You can make Kiddush on schnapps or on beer, Havdalah as well. You can do that. But bread, anytime. If there's no wine, even bread Friday night is okay. So if you're allergic to wine or grape juice, you can, you can make Kiddush on bread. You do, but you substitute hamotilachim in arts for bread pri and you wash first, like the yakis do. You wash before kiddush, and then you make kiddush and, insta- and insert hamotzi in that, and then you you cut the bread and then you're done. You start your suda. Yeah, that's not commonly done in our time, but that's halachically acceptable. Bread simply. Yes. And my mother used to make wine. Wine, but after the wine was finished, so we made on bread. On bread. So you, you lived that. Yeah. I love your stories, Rabbi Sandusky. Yeah. Yeah. We all love your stories. Yeah. Thank you. So that Mama Shell, that's right, right out of history, right here in our room. Yeah. Please. <laughs> In Romania, you, that's where you were born? Yeah. Huh. And then you didn't see wine until later? Until we came to Israel. Right, just wrong. And, yeah, and only for Pesach. Uh, yeah. Bread. <laughs> that was common. That was common. Right. 
And we wouldn't think of anything else except main Kiddush on wine or grape juice. That's the difference in the societies that, that we live in. I heard a beautiful thing, this wine-related, popped into my mind on a tape from Rabbi Beryl Wine. Uh, that he's <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> so he said that when they made their first bottle of wine in Eretz Yisrael, in the late 1800s, I think it was Carmel Wineries, and the very first bottle of wine, they sent it to the Nitziv. They what? They sent him a bottle of wine to the Nitziv, a great, a great Talmud Chacham Gadol Batorah in Europe. And he was very pro Eretz Yisrael. And um, when he got that bottle of wine, he put on his uh, Shabbos or Yom Tov clothing in order to uh, honor that first bottle of wine produced in Eretz Yisrael. They sent him the very first bottle of the wine that was produced there. And he wore a big day Shabbos or a big day emptive to honor the occasion. And, and Stratiano and isn't it the same the, 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 the rest of the mice, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that. Okay. <clears throat> now we were saying before, um, we're up to Ve'en Ro'u Ilo. Ve'en, the end, we're per Chamishi letter base. Ve'en Ro'u Ilo le'echol ela bi'sa'uda shal mitzvah bilvat. It's most appropriate to eat only at a Suda's mitzvah. Not so easy to uh, accomplish that. Kigon Suda's erusin v'nisuin, like a wedding meal or an betrothal meal. Um, that's a Suda's mitzvah. And v'hu she'yihiyah talmud chacham shenosa bas talmud chacham. And that specifically is a, a learned person who marries the daughter of a learned person. Now, for us, that would be, that would be from Jews. In our times, you go to school, you, you learn Torah, you learn Yeshiva or Nebes Yaakov, and then you are a learned person. It doesn't have to be a phenomenal Talmud Chacham. So in general, Baruch Hashem, our society has these people. That's why we have a system of Chinuch. But Sadikim Bachasidim Harishonim Lo Achlu Misuda She'enu Shalahen. And earlier, very righteous people and pious people, they did not eat food, they did not eat at a sauda that was not theirs. In other words, they didn't go out to eat. So he's saying here that it's perfectly permissible, which it is, and it's even nice, but there were some who had a policy that they, would, they did not want to benefit from other people, like taking gifts. They just didn't want to, they, whatever they had on their own, they had, they didn't want to eat from other people. No, this, this is not a kosherist. Halacha, or even like some rabbis are in a position that you can't eat at people's houses because you can't say yes to this and no to that. So you just have, we don't eat our policy, which is, which is what we do. So, but this is something different, not about kashras, this is just about not wanting to eat something that doesn't belong to you, taking something from somebody else. The story in the Gomorrah in Chulin that Rabbi Pinchas ben Yoir had this personal policy. He didn't take food from anybody. And Rabbi Huda Nasi, who was his son-in-law, always tried to get him to eat over, and he never would. And then one time, he, fi- he finally consented, and when he got to Rabbi Huda Nasi's house, which is more like a palace, and there were these very fine white stallions that were there. And he said to Rabbi Huda Nasi that, why do you have danger in your house? He held that these were dangerous animals, so he wouldn't eat there. <laughs> so Rabbi Huda Nasi cried. Gova Tura Binayu, that literally means a mountain grew between them. It means they reached an impasse. 
Rabbi Huda Nasi understood that his father-in-law was not going to eat there, and it was just that's how it was. Rabbi Nasi cried, and he said that Hashem does the will of those who fear Him, meaning that he knew that Rabbi Pinchas ben did not really want to eat at his house, but finally, finally consented. Hashem said, "It's okay. I'll get you out of this situation," and he made sure that he was not able to eat there. So he's Rabbi Huda Nasi. Not only was he not offended, but he was moved by the fact that Hashem was protecting Rabbi Pinchas ben regarding his own personal standards that he had. And that's not a cautious issue at all. Rabbi Huda Nasi kept fine kosher, I'm sure. Okay. Letter Gimel. Kesheh chocham shoseyayin When a wise person drinks wine, eno shosa ela kedei lishros achila shebimeyav He should only drink enough to soak the food that's inside of his stomach, meaning to help his digestion, soften up the food, let the digestive process happen. Whoever gets drunk, sins. Umaguna, and it's despicable. Umafsid chachmaso, and he loses his wisdom. And if he gets drunk in front of uneducated people, and he's a chacham, it's a chil Hashem. Because they see how this person is acting. They respect him. He's a Tamil Chacham. He gets out of hand because he's had too much to drink. That is a chil Hashem. You should not drink wine during the daytime, even a little bit. Of course, Kiddush, you know, is a separate story. Unless it's part of your meal. Because when you drink wine at a meal, it doesn't get you drunk. And that's also a known thing. Now, if you drink wine on an empty stomach, the alcohol goes to your system much more quickly. If you're eating a meal and you have wine in the middle of the meal, then that doesn't get you drunk. It's just part of the meal. Obviously, if you drink too much, you can always get drunk. But he means that's the time to do so, even during the daytime, and it's appropriate. And we're only concerned about wine that you drink after the meal during the daytime, because why are you drinking during the daytime? Right. You're going to get drunk with not too much alcohol. Um, I gave a, 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 giving a series of talks right now at one of the local uh, schools to high school guys about, about alcohol and the, uh, the phenomenal increase of the presence of alcohol right now in from society. And speaking about over the top, we're way over the top. So I'm sure you remember. Right? When we were first married, the Rebetzin and I, we had a Shalom Zachar back in the 19, uh, early 1980s, right? And you're, you know, your friends are having kids. Shalom Zachar was a bottle of schnapps, one at the table, maybe a six-pack of beer. You left the table, there were three beers out of six left. <laughs> and there was about this much schnapps that was, that was taken from the top. 90% of the bottle was still there. Same bottles last. Same bottle, right? You could drink the same, <laughs> next Shalom Zachar, same bottle, right? Nowadays, I kid you not, you can go to a Shom Zacher, there could be several six-packs of beer on the table, there could be several bottles of schnapps on the table, and you know what, when you leave, they're gone. They're mamish gone. So that's where we are now. You walk into a chasna nowadays, sometimes the drinking is way over the top. And it's, it's not good. It's not good. Unfortunately, the role modeling is coming from the adults. Now, kids are always in danger, you know, uh, teenagers of alcohol, and that's just what it is to be a teenager. But now the message coming down from the top, you know, from the parents is that 
there's this emphasis on very fine scotches and bourbons and hundreds and hundreds of do- dollars for a bottle and how hush of it is and for adults giving uh, people who are not their kids you know, to drink at their table and encouraging that or Kiddush and Shulak. We're so out of hand when it comes to alcohol. We're teaching our, our kids the wrong lessons. There should be a lot more moderation and a lot, more, a lot less uh, alcohol at the table. So one, one, one time I was talking about this and somebody said, so are you opposed to making a l'chaim? I said, no. It's nice to make a l'chaim, but people are not there to make a l'chaim. They're there to drink. That's different. Make a l'chaim is l'chaim, nachas, bracha, from your family, everything good, and you have a drink or two and you put it down and you're done. But nowadays people are coming to drink. That's a whole different mentality. So the Rambam says it right here. Chote, he sends, maguna, it's despicable, Mafsid chachma, so it causes you to lose your wisdom. So enough said on a very big topic, but you know it's very it's very problematic, and I'm uh, very proud that our shul has been alcohol free for probably 25 years. We don't put alcohol on the table for kiddush, and if somebody wants it there for a private event, so a little bit of wine, it's okay. Or if there's a bottle of schnapps for a private event, I tell the bottle simply you keep it at your table and it doesn't go anywhere else at your table. But in general, we don't even do that. And many other shuls in our community over the years have adopted similar policies of no, no alcohol at kiddushes because kids were coming to the table and, and drinking, learning how to drink at shul. We don't want to be educating 12-year-old boys to how to drink. Right? That's not our role in life. It's to teach kids how to drink. So we've got, we got to be very mindful as a community about what's going on. It's, it's, uh, it's, gotten, it's gone way too far. Yeah, please, Alka. Interesting. They get it. They understand what's going on and that there's a lot of available alcohol out there. And they know that they're in a state of indecision, the guys that I'm talking to. Now, some of them justify taking a couple of beers, a couple of drinks. And we talk about that. Look, if your father's there and he lets you have a beer or two, like, okay, that's up between him and you. And, but however, you're out with friends and you're drinking, so where's that going to lead to? And then we also talk about tolerance and that your body ultimately needs more and more alcohol in order to get a little bit of a, a high from it. So that's how you become an alcoholic. Right? Two, two beers turns into four, now you need six, now you need eight. You turn around and now you're an alcoholic. And some people have that predilection. That's how their body is made. So one guy can drink a l'chaim and put it down. The other guy drinks a l'chaim, he needs another and another and another. So I say to the guys, you have to know yourself. Because during the time of life when alcohol is being brought in front of you, you have to take a look at yourself and say, who am I? And ha- am I drawn to this or not? Do I want two beers and I'm done? Or one beer and I'm done? Or do I need six? And if you need six, you've got to talk to somebody. It's really important to talk to somebody. So there's an awareness. I find that there's an awareness. There is rationalization and justification. There's also just wanting to have a good time. No, you want to have a good time. So within the context of that, I try and introduce moderation, knowing yourself, who you are, the context of where you are, what your parents have to say about this, and try and put that all in one, you know, in one talk. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, Gail, please. What's the proper approach for teens at the Shabbos table with families that have a So I have traditionally let my kids, if I have a little Lachaim at the table, um, I'll pour out a little l'chaim, and if I have kids who are teenagers, I'll let them have a small l'chaim. But that's where we stop. 
And if it's somebody else's kids, you know, then um, I don't, I won't offer them uh, l'chaim. If somebody's underage and their parents are not at the table. My, if my kids had a friend, and now my kids are pretty much up and out, but if they, during those times, um, I, I would not offer um, an underage child a l'chaim. Kiddush, you know, for sure, but, but not more than that. Yeah, please. About excessiveness, yeah. yeah. Can't say it's good. Stand up there. Yeah. I want to go back to what somebody mentioned for Shabbos. Yes. Yes. So, what well, I didn't see here, but maybe I didn't read everything. Um, there is no explanation about excessive food. What do you do with it? Because in our time, everything is thrown out. Um, There's a lot of wasted food. Yeah. more than what you had before. Right. Yeah. yeah. And now it's even more so. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a way that uh Abani mentioned this? Well what do you do with it? You know, with the do you throw food away? I mean this yeah. So he has not yet mentioned it and he doesn't. And I, I'm assuming that they didn't have that problem. They didn't have the problem. They didn't have too much food. Yeah. So what yeah. they didn't have refrigeration, freezers, you know. Right. Food went bad. And people were were you know were not affluent, at least some societies they weren't. So I don't think it was a problem, but we had a big problem with that. I read in the newspaper the other day that several billion dollars of food is thrown away in America, like on a regular basis. Yeah, but we are talking yeah. about the Jewish. Yeah, but we also. So if you can give food and have, have it used by other people, I know after Shabbos, uh, my wife calls all of our married children and says, "Come on and take, and have to take." Takes it home. For some reason, we have a little left over after Shabbos. Uh, you put it in the freezer mm. until Eric Paisa. <laughs> <laughs> then you get a mitzvah for throwing it away. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great age, though, right? Because it's very hard to throw away food. But I tell my wife, like at the end of the week, I say, please throw that away. <laughs> so we have no choice. If, you know, if food is rotting in your refrigerator, you've got to throw it away. We have no choice. Just the nature, and you can't go running around to all the neighbors. Every t- it's just not practical. So when the food's going about to go bad, you throw it away. Or you can give it away if you can. Just by saying, you know, also, you know, what they have in Baltimore is throughout Israel. If you have a bris or something, and there's trays of food and it's often left over, you call them, they'll pick it up. As long as it has a pro- proper hechsher on it, you know, and it's come from one of the local establishments, they'll pick it up and they'll and they'll give it out on that day. It's fresh. <coughs> So for a larger situation, you have an eight set, but at home you don't really have an eight set. Yeah. You, know, you use what you can. Next time, don't prepare something. Right. <laughs> yeah, we we often have leftover. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Gil, please. It's true that we're affluent as a society, but there are families that don't have enough. That That's right. Absolutely. It's true. We have a lot of people who are in need, even, even for the basics. And if we can be mindful of that, 
and try and take care of that, that's really good. Yeah, please, Debbie. I mean, when I got married, I lived in Broadway. After Shabbos, you call the yeshiva, and when the guys came over, they're all food. And it was gone. Be sure you have enough for all the guys, right. especially when you're having a bunch of right. men who eat, yeah. you know, before they're married, especially. Yeah. And uh, but I do see in the houses of my children, I see my grandchildren. They fill up a plate like they're going to eat, and then they'll say, "Bobby, do you have something else? You have just the potato? No, no, no. Do you have this? Do you have stuff? And they have a list of things. And the times I <laughs> have that list, and I have it sitting there. It's left over, right? And then who's going to eat it? After? Right. It's it's. I think That's they're it. they're not. Sometimes they're not trained right just to to you know not to eat, and they fill their plates like they're going to eat it. But, right. You know, we pay for water, which I never. You know, who ever paid for water years ago? And this is the thing I can't handle. And I give everyone a glass, and they fill up the water, and. They spill out half a cup of water that I ate for. Right. You know, it's it somehow, you know, if it's soda, it's sugar, let it be in the garbage. Water is like, I can't yeah. stand it. Yeah, it's, that's our know. that's our times. And now I put a limit, even with the grandchild. Go, fill up a little bit. If you want more, take more. Right. It, that's a good policy. Yeah, and everything else I put in the freezer. Now I don't have a pay. Until they're at pay stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Yes. Yes. I yes. see guys getting I know. Drunk it's, hor it's horrible. It's horrible. Now, for, in my opinion, at a bar mitzvah, there should be no bar. No. What, why is there alcohol at a bar mitzvah? That makes no sense. Okay, at a chasna, I could see it. People want to make l'chaim, okay, but an open bar, that's completely irresponsible. Completely. But you know, Dura, I've been to some weddings where, where a guy, I see guys bring their own. Right. I was at a chasna, not a couple years ago, and I went by a table of, of black hat yeshiva baruchim, very firm guys. There were big bottles of schnapps on their table that they brought. Yeah? yeah. yeah? I won't tell you the rest of that because I scolded them, but that was... Uh, they weren't so happy with me. They think it's your yeah. I, I don't like this prohibition attitude. I just have to put my two cents in. It's not prohibition, moderation. Moderation is Open bar. Yeah. Open bar. Unmonitored bar. But but you but you you want you want nineteen year old guys to go over and, and really throw back ten shots of scotch and go into the wedding trash? We want that? Why do we want that? That's not prohibition. That's just that's being responsible to people. And that's what they do. We we are living in those times. It's so available and there's there's no busha. There's no sense of, wow, maybe I shouldn't do this. It's just wide open. I think it's completely irresponsible. I think Fishel yeah. does not allow open bars. It's great. You have somebody there who's a bartender and who's looking how old people are and things like that. That's a different story. He's trained to do that. I'm not so comfortable with that either, but it's okay. But an open bar, I just don't see any reason for it. You're asking for trouble. You're asking for drunk people. You're asking young people. Yeah. Yeah, poor. Mm -hmm. Kids training, kids coming. Yeah. From it's coming from the Shulchanara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we're dealing with. But I, I see yeah. 
That could be Maguna, right? right? So let me talk about that for him because Purim is a different story and it's also not a different story. I remember when I was 18 year old, years old, I was in Eretz Shrol Yeshiva. I was invited to my Rebbe's house for Purim Suda. He got drunk and he was overflowing with Torah. Deep Torah. Deep Torah. The more he had to drink, the more Torah came out. I said, wow, this is unbelievable. It made a tremendous impression on me. The guys at the table were drunk, but there was a context. There was a context of Kedusha, there was a context of drinking for a reason for Simchas Purim, and it was within that context there's a certain Shmira there. And the Rebbe himself was role modeling how to do that properly. It was the opposite of Muguna. It was a, just an awesome thing to see somebody, um, a person who in general was rather reserved, um, expressing aside to himself in Torah, which was extremely deep and profound. And it made a, a very strong impression on me to see somebody like that. Now, a couple of years later, I'm at my Rebbe's house, Rabbi Shlomo Tversky Zatzal, who also drank on Purim, but he didn't get drunk. He drank, but he didn't get drunk. And he also spoke profound Torah at his table in the midst of this drinking. The center of it was Torah, Simchas Purim, Tzudas Mitzvah, Shlach Manis, its context. So in my opinion, Purim like that, that's fine and it's beautiful. Chayv inish libesume bepuria. That's a statement in the Gemara. A person is obligated to get drunk on Purim. Now there are two very different opinions on this. One opinion is that it means exactly what it says. You're supposed to get drunk adelo yada. Until you don't know the difference between Borah Mordechai and Orahaman. And it means kipshuto, to get that drunk. But that means within the context of Purim, not just running around and doing crazy things. Another opinion is that you're not supposed to get drunk on Purim, and we, we don't hold by that opinion, even though it's in the Gemara. But the Gemara after that talks about a story where Rabbah shefted Rabbi Zerah, he killed him on Purim when they were drunk. And the next day is Mechayi Mesi. So the next year, Rabbi, Rabbah asked Rabbi Zerah, do you want to come back to my house? He said, no, thank you. I'm not coming this year. Why? Because miracles don't happen every day. I know you did Mechayim Mesim last year on me, but not, that maybe not this year, maybe I'm going to stay on the other side. So no thanks. Some of the Rishonim say the reason that story is brought after the line that says, is to teach that's not the halacha. That's an opinion amongst the Rishonim. And if you look at the Beis Yosef in the tour, he goes with that line of thought mostly. So you can easily fulfill the halacha of Adil Yoda, says the Ramah, by drinking a little bit more than you usually do and taking a nap. Because when you take a nap, you're also Adil Yoda, you're sleeping. And the Ramah paskins that way la halacha. So there are, there are definitely ways to fulfill the myths of Simcha's form without getting so drunk. And if one is getting drunk, it really should be within the context of what's happening in Simcha's form with all the proper shmira that's necessary. And I know that we remember now, many years ago, a boy got killed on Purim Yeshiva Bacha, a tragedy, on, on, on Purim Day, Levaya. I'll never forget it. He was killed on Purim. So, I mean, that, you know, the, the whole community is like shaken up in, a, in just such a way that's so disturbing. And, you know, that shifts people 
But that's already a, a long time ago. A lot of people who are here don't even remember that. Weren't even, weren't even living here then. So we have to be very mindful of that Purim has this, this extra, extra measure of Simcha, but it has to be done within Simcha's Purim. And with that, I'm okay with it. Without that, I'm not okay with it at all. I'm also okay with fulfilling it in the, according to the other opinions, where you take a little nap. Um, I used to drink a lot on Purim. For many, many, many years, I used to get up on my dining room table when I got to a certain point of happiness and dance on the dining room table. And then one year I ran into the uh, arch between the <laughs> dining room and the living room. And guess, guess which one of us didn't move, me or the arch? <laughs> Had a nice little gash on my forehead. And the Reverend said, no more. <laughs> You're not doing that anymore. All right, so I toned it down since then. And now, anyway, I'm older, anyway, I don't have the same, you know, I want to get drunk. And when I was in my 30s, I had, I'm going to get drunk, I'm pouring. But now, I, I don't feel that way anymore. But that's just a change in me. So I drink less on Purim. I just get a little tipsy on Purim. But when I was younger, I used to get drunk on Purim. And we keep it, you know, within the context of our, of our home, at our table, and our family. And it was very beautiful and very sympathetic. And I, that was, it was great, beautiful times. But everybody according to their own home, their own abilities, and making sure people are safe. Yeah, please. The other context of drinking on Purim was there yeah. was a time when that was the only day that men were getting drunk like that. Right. The rest of the year they weren't drinking, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, please. Also, Jody. I think back then the availability of liquor was not, it was not so nearly. Not so nearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, yes, please, yeah. Um, I'm not getting too far in the wrap up. Just thinking about that, back to the overeating, I get very distressed when I go to a school and I see the obesity among children that I think would be very rare, and yeah. the schools are serving so much sugar. Um, and I just feel very powerless when I see that that's been very entrenched. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I really can't speak for the school. I don't know what they do, what they don't do. But in terms of obesity, it's a problem in America. It's a problem in our own community. It's a, it's a health <laughs> issue. And it's, it's following along this, the lines of these same things, that we, we live with a lot of food, and people don't learn limits, and that's what happens. We, sh we, uh, we need to be more careful. Yeah, I just wish yeah. there was something happening. It seems like a blind eye. Schools are everything. Everything has sugar. Every sugar is thing. Nobody liked that teacher. Oh, they liked her because she gave one out. Okay. No, I'm saying we had like we didn't get candy at school. Right. We had like twice a year we got cupcakes or something like. Like a treat, something special. Now it's a daily, uh, daily dose. Yeah. And sorry, see the there are kids that are obese and it seems like there's a blind. It's related, right? There's a lot of factors too, though. It's not just that. There's a lot of factors that go into um, obesity. It's not just that. Of course, I'm not justifying that, but there are other things going on. Our society that, that, that caused people to indulge, yeah. even even young people. Yeah, Debbie, please. Yeah, I, I throughout the years, um, I'm, a, I'm a candy giver. I'm guilty. So are we. I will tell you. Also, <laughs> I will tell you. Not not a lot. I mean, if they get a jelly bean, you know, you're not getting a jelly bean. But um, stars and stickers are also good. I'm not against that either. But I will tell you, just from, my children were all skinny, so I never had the issue, and they never said, "Can I have?" 
grandchildren growing up, a lot of them look like they're getting heavy. And you worry, you go, oh my gosh, you're nine, you're 10, you're really filling out. Maybe you should watch what you're eating. And then all of a sudden, I see them a few months later and they're starting to skinny out and they're growing and they're growing taller. I have a grandson who can't eat. His, he was getting fuller and fuller. He lived on, on a, a feeding tube. So he was, he was not growing. Kids need to fill out first and then they grow. So I think when they get, when they, they, one doctor made a big fuss in Toronto with, with my granddaughter. She's very thin. At the time she was getting fuller and I was getting scared and my daughter-in-law was getting scared. And then all of a sudden she hit puberty and she started growing taller and thinning out. And yes, everybody should be told don't eat too much junk and eat properly. And that's something we teach all the time in school and at home. I mean, people teach that. But sometimes we worry so much about that little heavy. As a matter of fact, when my, daughter, when my granddaughter started getting thinner, then the doctor said, wait a minute, I don't want her losing any more weight. When she comes back next time, I'm afraid she's becoming anorexic. You know, like they go from one extreme to just, I think sometimes it's a nature of a child and we have to allow to them. And it. I know that they have to get full before they get tall. So I'm a little bit in, you know, that's that part I, I have a hard time with. I, I don't like to, if kids need to eat two sandwiches, you know, that's something I, I think they need more, but I'm not, you know, an expert on that, so I don't know. But I think I think it's gone overboard. We go overboard either way. Next direction. You know, and okay. we just have to just chill a little, you know. All right, all very important things to be mindful of. And balance is the, the key word. Balance and moderation is really all the way through. Comes down to that. Okay, so we are going to have one more class, even though this is officially the end of the semester, but I missed a couple of times. So next week, this Rasa Hashem will meet again. Then we'll take a break for the next time. Have a great week, everybody. Beautiful Shabbos. All good things. If you do take the photocopy, please bring it back next week. Otherwise, just hand it in. Thank you. Hmm? Thank you. Sure. I thought I had a procedure, so I need to sit down. Um, I'll just cover the back of the class. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. I figure you see each other all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Marta. Thanks so much. Someone needs to help you. It's kind of heavy. Where's it going? I'm sorry, I can't. It's over there. What's that? It's in the front. Thank you. It's clearly a topic people want to talk about. It is, right? Maybe we should have like a little special session. I'm in the other town. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. We're having another class next week. Oh, okay. So we're wanting to help you. Yeah. Also, also on the rise. That's not mine. Let me just put this here a minute. Yeah, Jody, yeah.
I think because we have our different pastures. We think about food and we have so many rules about food. It's that sort of fertile ground for us to go to either be eating too much or medical complications. The video was one.